You're on the one ninety one FM. This is Monday Drive, and I'm your host, Lawrence, and we'll be giving away the feature CD in just a few short moments. But I am joined in studio with Ellie, but you might know her more as Eleanor Ainge Roy from The Guardian. Yeah, you got it right, the pronunciation. Yeah, yeah finally, I got one of them right. And uh, yeah. we're going to be talking about uh, a wide variety of topics, but I want to start, uh, Ellie, with this story you wrote, uh, I guess, the 13th of July about the home-baked uh, meth. Because this yeah. really hits, for yeah. me, what hits on me is like, because I'm originally from Kentucky in the USA, mm-hmm. when I moved to Melbourne, Australia for 10 years, you know, off and on, and there, I always joke that Kentucky's a big horse racing town, and I moved to a state in Australia that's full of horse racing, yeah. so, and then <laughs> I had to get out of there, so I went to New Zealand, and it's just like Kentucky, it seems to be full of home-baked meth, so I thought, wow, it's never far from home, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely, but, um, yeah, in New Zealand, I mean, it's really become the Class A drug of choice uh, because of our geographical isolation. Mm. Um, it's always been very difficult uh, to get the hard drugs in here, so mm. going back to the 60s and 70s, heroin did start to come in through Mr. Asia, and that was the first time we've had a really big hit. But um, cocaine, heroin, all the good stuff, MDMA. Oh, uh, not, stuff. not actually, <laughs> you know, not that I'm actually into it myself, but it, you're tipping it, your hand here, you know. <laughs> yeah. to when it does get to New Zealand, it's um, it's often cut, and then it's really, really expensive mm. um, because we have very good border controls, um, yep. and we have for had it for a long time. So. If Kiwis can cook it themselves, um, that's what they do, and they become very good at it very quickly. Yeah. Mm. Um, that's a lot of the same quotes I saw in the story is stuff that I've grown up with, you know, where it's so much cheaper to get, easier mm. than cigarettes for your underage 18 yeah. year olds to get, cheaper than marijuana, Yeah. this, that, and the other. But I kind of want to get into your story because it starts with a pretty epic intro. You had, a pretty, mm. you had a really good hook in it, and that was this crazy-ass boat that had just, I mean, what are the statistics? I mean... It had um, five five hundred kilograms, so half a ton of half meth. Half a ton. Yeah, so it's it's the biggest haul of meth that New Zealand's ever found. I mean, yeah. more than probably has got in, but this is the biggest take. Um, and it was really random the way that it happened. It wasn't like a police stakeout at all. It was a very small, isolated town, and um, this group of guys started. Actually, going we should, maybe we should say where it is exactly. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. It's in Northland in Ahipara, so mm. right up right up north, tiny town. It's about a thousand people, a uh, surfing town, very laid back. And um, some out-of-towners came in in a very expensive boat and a very expensive car and started offering hundreds of dollars cash to the locals to help them launch the boat. And they were very inept seamen. Hmm. And they told locals that they wanted to go out to sea to throw the ashes of their deceased father away at sea. But they were all sort of unrelated. So there were two Maori guys, a Polynesian, a couple of Asian guys. So the locals, it didn't make sense really to them. And... Hmm. Um, they were around for a couple of weeks before the locals started to talk to police and say something's not right here. Yeah. yeah. And what put you onto the story at the Guardian? Did you just? Um, well, I mean, there's been so many meth stories this year, mm. um, which we're always interested in. But for a global audience, it needs to be. Um, I don't know. It needs to be kind of like a really good yarn. It can't just be news. Um, mm. It needs, especially for a feature, it has to be something that's going to have some good characters and a bit of colour. And we really, we, I was speaking to the Drug Foundation and he said, Kiwis have always been good at do-it-yourself. Um, drug making right back from home bake in the 1970s, which was an opiate, um, to meth. And yeah, that interested me, that history that you can see it over the decades that we've mm. perfected it. And it fits with the sort of number eight wire Kiwi attitude that, you know. Yeah, it's kind of showing the, I wouldn't, I almost said the dark side, but it kind of shows yeah. the other side to it, you know, yeah. that it, it kind of affects all aspects of life here. Exactly. And it's, um, those stories are really good for us because for readers, I mean, not just Guardian readers, but for a lot of international readers, they have this 
very idealised view of New Zealand and they think it's sort of a paradise and it's a utopia and it's full of hobbits and, you know, we spend all our days having picnics with sheep. Um, and there is that kind of cutesy side of it, but there's also, as you said, the dark side. So when we do stories like this or we do stories about really high suicide rates or child abuse, they do very well in terms mm. of readership because people are surprised and they have no idea that, New you know, in the little a... island nation we have quite a few dark, you know, dark things going on as yeah. well. Funny enough, I interviewed a guy a few months ago in the classics department about the definition of paradise and how it's changed over yeah. time. And like one of the original definitions was like an islanded or walled off green land oh, okay. good for hunting. Yeah. And it was like, wow, that really did describe New Zealand, you know? And yeah. And I think, I mean, especially what we've really noticed in the last few weeks, I guess, since Brexit and Turkey and God, it keeps going on, Nice, it's been a terrible time. It has to, been a you know, yeah, poison in our times, really, at the moment. Yeah, you know? it is. And, um, as that happens, it's, um, the New Zealand stories do even better because it's, you know people are always saying, oh, I think I'll move to New Zealand, Brexit's so bad, or Trump's so bad. Yeah. Um, so it increases that idea of it. But my cruise ship is full of meth, oh no. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's, yeah, um, it's just good for, I guess, I like readers to get a more nuanced um, idea and picture of New Zealand yeah. rather than just this, you know, perf perfected ideal, which isn't true at all. Well, that, uh, yeah, as a traveler and being around the world, I'm sure you have been around a little bit too. It's, you see, the world's not perfect. They're no, especially in, in, in Europe at the moment. I think, um, well, because I work for the foreign desk, so Australia will switch on or Bangkok will switch on on the time difference and I think um, even for us and even for the seasoned editors who've been doing this for decades it's been a really depressing time mm. so um, we have been trying to kind of balance these terrible stories that are happening at the moment with things like Kaitangata which mm. we told you about which is um, just you know some Pokemon Go stories it's been quite nice to have a bit of just something, lightness because yeah. it's too much otherwise for, yeah. for readers and for us too um, I want to get back quickly to the meth story um, mm. Like I know, because uh, if you for people who listen to radio, one uh, the politics show has kind of covered the the meth testing going on and yeah. the meth solutions. And mm -hmm. I noticed you had a, a source in there from that industry for you know mm -hmm. people who test meth. Um, in your research, is the problem how bad really is the problem? Because there is an, an incentive for some of these people to hype it and make it sound yeah. like there's meth. You know, mm -hmm. that guy's suitcase is full of meth. Oh my god! But how? How big is the problem have you found in Do your Do you research? mean of meth contamination in homes? Or? Um, just in general, I guess, because the meth contamination have covered pretty well, and we were talking yeah. off air that there's, a, there's some some dubious claims mm -hmm. in those industries, but definitely. just in the meth problem in New Zealand as a whole, is it really quite bad, do you think? Um, yeah, definitely. I, re I think it definitely is on the edge of being another crisis from what it was 15 years ago. Mm. Um, the stats don't reflect it, but the stats are done on survey basis, So, mm. um, and they're quite a small pool. They're done from about 300 drug users. Um, so 15 years ago, 2.7% of the population were using, and now it's meant to be 0.9%. Um, but if you talk to people in the field, if you talk to users, that's not accurate at all. And in places like Christchurch and Auckland, you can get meth in about 15 minutes. And I tried that myself, and I could have I could have done it if I wanted to purchase meth easy. In 15 yeah, I minutes. actually I actually have a Christchurch meth story as well. And oh was, yeah. Yeah, I, I went up to um, Jerusalem in the North Island. Yes. Yeah. I, it was a big trip for me. Like I finished my masters. I hitchhiked from Auckland down across the whole country, and I stopped in Christchurch. And this guy came up to me at the bus station. Yeah. I wasn't talking to him. And he said, yeah. hey, where are you going? Where are you going? I said, I'm going to Dunedin. And he's just like, oh, you need to go to Rolleston. Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, do, do you want some some speed? And he was really into <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah. Like, I'll give it to you for 10 bucks. Yeah. And then yeah. 
I told people on my rides about this story. They said, oh, it's Christchurch, of course. Yeah. They were just very common about it. Like, yeah. Well, yeah, Christchurch and Auckland are the hotspots. But as, um, you know, the, a lot of the labs have become very mobile. So they can be in any corner of New Zealand. They can be in a camper van. They can be in a car. They can be in a motel. Um, and at the treatment centres, 67% of the people in treatment are meth users. And the waiting list to get into the treatment centres is can be up to six months long. Um, yeah. So... Yeah, I mean, I don't think it is scaremongering or fear-mongering. I think it is, it is really bad out there. And the other interesting thing about meth is it's not just the, like an underclass. You know, there will always be an underclass who will be drug users and sort of have difficult socioeconomic circumstances. But um, in New Zealand, meth is everywhere, from, you know, the businessman mm -hmm. to the unemployed. Um, and that sort of makes it a little scary, I find. Yeah, because I've lived um, a lot of places in the world, and I come from America, and I've lived in Australia, which are much bigger countries than New Zealand. Yeah. It still feels... <laughs> Anything's bigger, almost. <laughs> yeah, it, it still feels very idealized here. Like, in yeah. Dunedin, maybe it's just being in Dunedin and being yeah. in the Southland. I don't... See, like, in Kentucky, there was a huge meth problem. You can yeah. just see it. Yeah. And, yeah. like, so my dad used to tell me, it's a straight road to nowhere. Mm. And he didn't have to tell me that. You look mm. at the meth users, and you think, God, it's horrible. And um, but I still don't see it here. Is it much more visible and more? I guess it is in Christchurch. Yeah. But well, um, I think I mean I, I I've felt the same thing. But a lot of people who use meth, one of the reasons they told me they really love it is that you can hide the effects. So you can mm. go to work and you don't appear drunk and you don't appear stoned and you can get a lot of work done. You mm. can be super busy, super creative, whatever. Um, and it's only sort of about five years down the track when you start to get those very physical effects. Mm. So you know, very poor teeth, very poor skin. Um, but until you get to that point, you can, it's, it's easy to conceal, which is, um, and a lot of high school students are using too, apparently. It's more attractive than marijuana and more attractive than alcohol, which I found hard to believe, but apparently. I, I can see the attraction. I mean, I've, mm. I've never experimented with this, but I can see if, if it does wake you up, mm, it does keep exactly. the party going, it yeah. does make you get a lot of, like, you can be very efficient, mm -hmm. at least in the short run. Then it, why, why not? You know, yeah. marijuana puts you to sleep. Alcohol. Some people don't agree with alcohol. Exactly, it makes you feel sick. If and you it's have cheap. Too much. Yeah. Um, and the other thing uh, with the big attraction with meth, and especially trying to get people into rehab, one of the hardest things to break is chem sex. Um, so meth gives people incredible sex, and a kind of sex addiction with the drug addiction. So yeah, when right. they're coming off the meth. They say to the nurses, but am I now, you know, never going to have good sex again? So. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, so that's that's sort of a parallel addiction that develops with the meth. And H Have you actually, in your reporting, visited treatment centres and seen... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, the one thing I noticed, I've been to a lot of different treatment centres in lots of places, not just New Zealand, but um, the meth centres are very young, the clientele, so mm. it looks like University Hall. You know, mm. they're just kids. I mean, they're young. I'm 28, but a lot of these kids are sort of 22 23 and they have hit rock bottom so yeah. um what the addiction counselors have told me as well that meth brings people to their rock bottom a lot faster so with heroin or marijuana or the other drugs you can kind of stay addicted but maybe keep it going for 20 years maybe kind of keep functioning um but with meth you'll hit rock bottom in five to ten years so very yeah, quickly right. yeah right and there's that many people i guess escape it really how do you mean escape it? Well, there's, I don't know of anybody who's done meth, like you said, for 20, 25 years, 30 yeah. years, and keeps going, you know? No, it, it's, um, yeah, a lot, another thing people said is that it's a drug of our time. So, you know, in the 70s, there was heroin. That was kind of a chilled out, relaxed, mm. hippie drug. Um, you didn't really get violent heroin addicts. It was, mm. you know, if you took too much, you'd fall asleep, and if you took too much, you'd die. Yeah. Um, but as one of the policemen in the story that I end the story with, he says, the problem with meth is there's no ceiling. You just keep going up and up, and they don't die. They just go psychotic. 
narcotic, basically. Mm. So it's a drug that reflects our age. Yeah, we're the, for more and bigger experiences. Yeah, and that it reflects the negative aspects as well. We're looking at Turkey or, or what's going on in Europe right now, where it just seems to be getting crazier and crazier and crazier mm. and crazier. It just mm. doesn't seem to stop. Mm. Like though it's psychotic, like you just said, you know. Yeah, and also the violence, and um, that is very real. Um, mm. You don't have those reports with marijuana so much, or, or heroin, or opiates. Um, you don't, you don't have those, you know, really, really violent stories. But with meth, it's over and over. The police are dealing with the violence, and then that's how they discover the meth yeah. because of the violence, the domestic abuse, or. I always remember this story back home in Kentucky. I mean, I laugh, but it's probably not really that funny. This, this guy was delivering pizza. Yeah. And in America, it's um, I delivered pizzas, and you usually get three dollar tip when you deliver it. You know. Okay. That's, that's tip, nice. the tip culture. You that don't get paid. Right. You oh. don't get paid. Oh, okay. So you get, the tips are your money. You know. Oh, that's a bit sad then. Yeah. Well, yeah. anyway, but he didn't get the three dollar tip. And yeah. he just took his truck and drove through the person's yard and like mm. did donuts in their yard and like mm. knocked their mailbox over and just kind of went completely off the chops. Mm. And it turned out that he had been awake for like three days and exactly. just meth off his brain and yeah. said the person was threatening them. And it, it was just crazy. It was just psychotic, completely yeah. psychotic. I think you start to get a feel for it too. I mean, last week there was that man who was running around with a machete. Um, oh, really? Yeah, yeah well, up in the North Island and mm. he was scaring shopkeepers. And as soon as you hear something like that, yeah, the first thing I think is meth, and then about a couple of hours later, the police said he was high on meth. So it has a kind of distinctive personality, and it's um, yeah, it's it's. I think it's a scary drug. Yeah, Definitely. absolutely. I never. A lot I of didn't. people think it's a scary drug, actually. Yeah, I don't. I never found it as an attractive option. Like I said, I've never tried it. I don't. No. Growing up in Kentucky, it was really. I guess it's a class thing as well. It was the poor people who were going nowhere. That's yeah. what it was. You yeah. Know? And there would be the stories of it seeping into sort of the family. Nobody was mm. really surprised about. You know. Mm. But um, I I worked uh, maybe four years ago. I went home and I worked in, on a construction site as industrial cleanup, and all the guys were were most of them were in there for meth. Oh, that's interesting. Cause yeah. yeah, that's the biggest. They're the biggest users in Christchurch too. Yeah, the construction um, workers. Yeah, because they cashed up. They have a. They have you know heavy workload. Mm. Um, not a lot of recreative options. So yeah. it's um yeah they're the big users in Christchurch. Yeah, old Christchurch. I mean there's a story from a guy who was he was actually prison labor. He had been in jail for mm. having meth and. Um, He's he had a he did you never looking at him you'll never guess in a million years that he mm. was a meth user and mm. and he just ex described it to me as like you stay awake so long and you play darts and then you play cards and then yeah. you go to work and then eventually you get bored and bored and the ideas seem more and more normalized yeah and eventually I mean he he was in jail for ten years for manufacturing child pornography and you think oh my god so this is a guy yeah. who was like a he literally played like professional football mm. and then like you said four years later was in jail. Yeah, I mean, I also don't think it's one you can dabble in. I, everyone I spoke to, you know, former addicts and things, um, it, you know, it wasn't just an occasional weekend thing. It was very, it becomes addictive extremely quickly. Yeah, right. Um, so it's not really a, a, a drug that you take recreationally in that way. Mm. Um, were you? Did you ever go into places where people were doing it and just kind of be there and observe or... Like um, Louis Theroux or somebody? Well, actually, we did. My editor and I tried for months to get into a meth lab. Um, oh, because, interesting. Yeah, we had this whole idea. Well, we wanted... Yeah, I would still like to do it. So if anyone yeah. out there wants to invite me, um, you know, just to see it for the introduction. And because it's, it, you know, it is, um, you know, in saucepans and in beakers and that kind of thing. Hmm. And um, I would have liked to see it being cooked, but... I'll just come to Kentucky. So. <laughs> Next time you're in Kentucky, give me a call and we'll take yeah. you down. And it's very gang controlled now. So, no, um, right. I mean, it's basically completely controlled by the gangs. So, um, I wasn't getting any invitations to visit, which oh, was a shame. Yeah.
Yeah. Maybe update your. You have to make your Facebook yeah, profile Facebook a bit. Yeah. Just yeah. let me come for ten minutes, twenty yeah. minutes. I wasn't even going to ask any questions, but um. Just kind of be just the. Just there, background. just to see it. Yeah, because I, for features, you know, you need a lot of color, and mm. um, there's you know, there's nothing like being there and seeing it. Yeah. But we did actually get some. I don't know if you saw them on the, on the article. But we got some really good photos of domestic labs. Well, that's what I was going to ask you where you got the photo of the. Uh, yeah, they the were room. they were kind of leaked. Um, so they weren't that says they're from the police they sort of were from the police uh, but i thought those pictures were great and i wished i could have seen that in person because you kind of you get the you know there's some formula there and you can see and how a kettle and it's all mixed up with domestic life it's yeah. not sophisticated it's just you know it's a bit grungy and you know. that's how that's how crime in the world is like uh, hannah Arendt said the banality of evil it is just mm. mixed in with the dishwashing soap you know and mixed yeah. in with the coffee cups and mixed yeah in. and it's not i don't think it i think a lot of people um when they think of meth labs they do think of them being really sophisticated and kind of big especially from breaking bad that's influenced so many people's mm. idea of what a meth lab is um but most are very small and they can be cooked up in the boot of a car they can fit into a suitcase mm, um, i wasn't aware of the suitcase i didn't yeah know that. that's well that's how big a, a meth lab is now it's very mm. very um transportable and compact so yeah. it's it doesn't look like people imagine, I don't think. Yeah, mm. yeah, I do think people have the Breaking Bad sort of romanticized notion yeah. of it. Yeah, you know? I know everyone mentions that if you do a myth story, that's pretty much. Have you seen Breaking Bad? That's Crystal like Blue, whatever that was called in that show. Yeah, you know? yeah, it's got different names everywhere actually. Shabu in the Philippines, and oh. obviously Ice in Australia. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, it took me some years to catch up. You know, learning this new language, Australian Kiwi, yeah. like. ISP, what is this? In Kentucky, it's meth and crystal meth. Yeah. I don't actually know the difference between crystal and meth. And then there's the speed, which apparently is a bit different as well. Which it's, I don't yeah, it's it's less potent. Um, hmm. But yeah, it is kind of mean there are different names. When I was working in the Philippines, everybody, Shabu was the, Shabu Shabu, it's called, was the drug of choice. And it really screwed people up. And I didn't realize until this year that Shabu was meth. Um, mm. So now that And Shabu Shabu in Japan and Korea is like the dipping steak. Yeah. So. Well, yeah. you go to the so restaurant that kind of and say, yeah. Interesting. I, yeah. yeah, I want and some shabu shabu, and all of a sudden, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah, definitely. But for, I mean, for New Zealanders, it's especially for New Zealanders who've been in Asia or working in Europe when they come back here, and you know, they might want some drugs on the weekend. There's not much on offer. Mm. So that's how a lot of people do get into pee. Yeah, because the usual cocaine or whatever that they could get easily and cheaply in Europe is just not. No, it's not. Oh, I mean, Unless I in that horse's head. I don't know if you read that article. But. I have heard that. I heard that through <laughs> that the grapevine. Yeah. I heard apparently yeah. New Zealand's back on the drug trade, so maybe all the stuff will be coming in. So A little bit, although police are saying, and I think it, there's probably a bit of merit in that, that it, uh, we could just be used as a route to get things into Australia more easily. Um, because That's what somebody actually said to me. They hit this place that they kind of store it, and then they move it on. Yeah, because if there's a package coming from New Zealand, it's less suspicious than Mexico and a glitzy horse, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Did you see it? Oh, you should have a look. It's I will really look it up. It's like this giant horse from Mexico. And it was no, I've definitely have been cocaine. told about the story, and I've heard yeah. that, but I haven't actually seen a photo of it, no. It was the worst disguise ever. It was okay. full of, you know, it's awful. So it would have been actually better just to have, like, <laughs> sugar, and then it's, like, full of cocaine. Yeah, it would have been or, a bit more or like, feasible. soap or something boring. Mm. I don't know. Yeah. Shampoo. But well, we may have to switch gears a little bit from meth. I mean, I'm sure uh -huh. our listeners want to know where the meth labs are. They're disappointed. Um, <laughs> Sadly, yeah. I think I all think the speed freaks do like my show. That tends to be how it mm -hmm. runs. But um, uh, this is uh, the postgraduate drive show. So there's a lot of people out there who will be entering the workforce who want to be journalists, who want to switch gears from teaching English to being a journalist and oh. or whatever. Some people, hey. Some people, hey. <laughs> yeah. I know, I know. Um, um, yeah. Um, I just threw that in there. Um, what... What advice would you give? You get, you get a pretty sweet job at the Guardian. That's that's something to have on your your CV. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm really lucky. 
I have to say. There, um, Everybody says that who has a job, you know. So. Yeah, no, I am extremely lucky. I mean, it's really difficult. Although, I mean, we were talking before, there are heaps of jobs going in the provinces. Sometimes, just mm -hmm. for fun, I like to look. And there's always uh, jobs on the West Coast or Gore or Balclutha. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, I find it really strange, but a lot of young journalists coming out of grad school or coming out of whatever, uni, um, I can be a little bit snobby about those jobs. I think, oh, we don't want to work in Gore. Oh, yeah, not, totally, you know? totally. I find that attitude really strange because it's a great place to start and you mm. get access to so many stories. You do crime and health and sport and, you know, yeah. it's a really good training ground, but they can't fill those jobs. So I find that very odd when a lot of people are desperate to get into journalism. They say, all I want to be is a journalist, but oh, no, I wouldn't work in Gore. Um, can they come well, on we shoot live, to the top really quickly? Yeah, we live in that world, and I'm, I'm guilty of getting into this. I watch Vice documentaries and go, I want to go... You know, cover Boko Haram. I don't want to go to Gore and cover the Meth Museum or whatever. Yeah. Uh, Moonshine Museum, sorry. Meth Museum. <laughs> yeah. You know, and I think. Yeah. But as you get older, you realize that those opportunities, like doing this radio show, I could never get on in Melbourne doing a radio show. It's just yeah. too busy. Yeah. So you come here and you have opportunities. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the, I mean, the other good thing about those those small towns and those early grad jobs, it's kind of old school journalism. So you're actually mm. out on the street, you're talking to people, you're making contacts, um, you're talking to police one on one. If you shoot straight to the top in a you know big newspaper, New Zealand Herald or something, or Sydney Morning Herald, it's um you can get really deskbound and you just get stuck and you're just on the phone to PR people all the time and it's not fun. Um, yeah. So those small town jobs can be extremely fun, and they're not. You can make a few mistakes, you know, small mistakes, and it's not going to kill your career. Hmm. So um, yeah, I really don't understand why they're not filled because <laughs> right. um, you know, and the pay's not that bad. People complain about that too, but. If you're going to live in a small town for a year, the expenses are low. Mm. Um, so that is, yeah, I say that's the traditional path. That's not what I did. I went to Asia and I worked for the Phnom Penh Post in Cambodia, mm. which is, yeah, also a well-known training ground for young journalists. And that's great too because you get access to these amazing stories um, and you're working with really experienced journalists. So mm. for me, that was my route and that was fun. That worked. So yeah. that's an option too. There's a lot of English language papers yeah. that will employ young journalists. Did you mm. go to Phnom Penh? Cambodia get the job there or uh, I was I was actually writing columns for the ODT and kind of traveling around um, mm. and again kind of lucky I was at the journalists bar in Phnom Penh cantina and uh, they'd just gone daily so they just switched from going weekly to daily mm. and the editor just said Do you want a job so you Excellent. Know. Yeah. So it's really about being there more than anything. It is. Yeah, absolutely. You can send all the emails you want saying, oh, will you employ me or, you know, mm. oh, I'm a good journalist. But if you show up and you're keen and you're willing. Um, actually, I was my editor was on the phone the other day to London and that's what he was saying. He was, he was just trying to find someone for Bangladesh, I think, just like a stringer. And he just said, I just want someone keen. And it's surprising how many people aren't, you know, mm. that, you know, you can say, oh, I really want to do this. But actually loving it and being enthusiastic that makes up for a lot yeah. i think yeah interesting mm. interesting well thank you ellie for taking the time to come on cool the yeah, show, no yeah. Worries. you can actually help me out if you want to have to give away a cd you want to help me give away who, a do, CD? I give, who do i give it to well what's going to happen is people are going to text in we're going to ask oh, okay. a question Yay. and people are going to text in so we're going to we're going to describe the cd the cd is from christchurch singer songwriter okay. maya Payne, and maya has been singing since she was six and writing songs since she was 11. Something of an electro alt pop sensation, she makes chill pop tracks with elements of electronica and trap beats. 
I don't even know what that means, but I bet she's really good. Yeah, exactly. Sounds Perfect. Fantastic. Yeah, I'm so excited to hear the track. Yeah, and so we have to come up with a question to ask our listeners. I was going to ask, what is the most pain you've ever been in? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I had a herniated disc when I was 17, so yeah. I had like sciatica for six oh, months. Sucks, yeah. It's like an old person's condition, so you get that bent back. Oh. And no one believed me. They thought I was whinging. But yeah. actually, it turned out I had a very bad back injury. Yeah. Are you getting sore. over that, or is that going to be on your tombstone one day? Oh, okay. So, so yeah, got over I it. I told you my neck hurt or back yeah, hurt. Yeah, I did. Much. I did. I, can, I told everyone, and everyone said, oh, be quiet. And so I was very chuffed when it was serious. Yeah. That was nice for my ego. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations, Arv. Yeah. yeah. So we're going to play Max Maya Pain. It's Max Pain. Okay. Maya Pain, if only. And if you have, can tell me the most pain you've ever been in, just send it to 0212 Radio 1. That's 0212 723 And the funniest or the best one will get a free copy uh, of Maya Pain's new CD, The Lucky One.